Today's scripture reading comes from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. You can also follow along on page 8 of our bulletins. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of God. Good morning. If you are new here, this is your first time. We are so glad you are here with us, joining us in worship Immediately after service, um, as we do every week, um, there's going to be a time of uh, fellowship. So immediately after service, feel free to hang out, grab some food, and enjoy one another in life. Um, And just stick around. We would love to get to know you guys a little bit more that you may uh, plug into uh, the life of the church. We are currently going through our sermon series, The Gospel According to James. James is considered to be New Testament wisdom. It's New Testament Proverbs, if you will. And basically, James is trying to help us navigate life accordingly to the gospel that we believe and preach. So this morning, as we dive into the word, will you join me in prayer? Lord God, we come before you. We honor you. We cherish your name this morning. Lord God, we are so glad, Lord God, that you have joined us together where we can find rest in you. Lord God, in light of work, long hours, Lord God, what greater way to find rest but in your presence and within your people. So Lord God, may this be a time of refreshment, Uh, maybe this be a time of renewal. Lord God, as we hear your word this morning, I just pray, Lord God, that your word will be heard. Lord God, that you will speak boldly. And Lord God, that you will use me, Lord God, accordingly to the way you desire. May you take away my pride. May you take away my anxiety, Lord God, so you may be shared, that your light will shine amongst men. Lord, I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands. So use me accordingly to your strength. Lord God, bless this time. 
May we hear your word. We thank you in your son's name we pray. Amen. Social activist Mahatma Gandhi is famously known as the leader of the independence movement in British-ruled India. Through nonviolent civil disobedience, he led India to freedom and inspired movements for civil rights for years to follow and all across the world. Now, what some may not know is Gandhi, although not a Christian, much of his conviction is from the teaching of Jesus Christ, specifically the Sermon on the Mount. In an interview with Gandhi, Christian missionary Eli Stanley Jones asked him, Though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you appear to so adamantly reject becoming his follower? Gandhi's response, Oh, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It is just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. See, it was documented that Gandhi personally witnessed many Christian missionaries that preached often, but often lacked acts of mercy during a great time of oppression. For Gandhi, he viewed that Christian, Christians excuse me, did not, as the old saying goes, practice what they preached. Hear his words, a rose does not need to preach, it simply spreads its fragrance. The fragrance is its own sermon. Now, agree or disagree with Gandhi's view on scripture, the reality is that there is a sentiment from many within our pluralistic society that goes against the Christian worldview because they are asking the same question, where is our works of mercy? And starting in verse 14 of chapter 2, James also brings this question into light. Verse 14 tells us, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? James will answer for us that faith without works is dead. And this passage will specifically tell us the work that James is referring to is an issue of mercy. See, brothers and sisters, beloved church, the call to faith is also a call to mercy. I got three points for us today about this call. It's the pursuit of mercy, the power of mercy, and the price of mercy. The first point, pursuit. Read verse 15 and 16 with me. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Now, here, James, he begins with an illustration which begins with a brother or sister. And this brother or sister is in great need. What was the need? The brother or sister is without 
clothes and daily food. Now, without clothes is translated from the Greek word gumnos, and it literally means to be stripped naked and in daily need of sustenance. This person James is referring to was completely vulnerable. He was robbed of dignity and in desperate need of one's kindness and mercy. But how does this person respond? He says, "Go in peace, keep warm and well fed." Now, "go in peace" when we see this is a familiar Jewish form of dismissal. It's kind of like saying goodbye. Have a good day. The believer in this hypothetical situation, he said the right thing. In fact, he said the religious and righteous thing. But the question remains: Was this a correct response? What does James say? Look at verse seventeen with me. In the same way, faith by itself. If it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James makes it clear for you and I: faith without action is dead. This person that spoke but did not act is pretty much not a Christian at all. Now, before you and I start holy, start lifting holy hands and saying "Amen, brother," preach. The reality is that in some shape or form, we function just like the believer in this scenario. We respond in passivity rather than pursuits. We say a good word, but not necessarily do a good deed. We post a good verse on social media, but aren't posting up within our communities. And the reason is this: we respond in passivity rather than pursuits because of our self-righteousness. See, it's in our self-righteousness we forget the mercy of God that was first offered to us. Our self-righteousness allows us to think people are undeserving of God's mercy when we are just as undeserving. I was reminded of this just this morning, as I was I'm on my way to church. I'm on Lincoln Drive. I'm at a stop sign, red light. I see a car park up to me on my left-hand side. And all of a sudden, I hear the engine stop, and then I hear it start up again. But the engine did not go. So at that point, I look over to my left-hand side, and she begins to look at me, looking like there was some type of need. And I'm not going to lie to you. In that very moment, you knew what my heart's response was: go in peace, keep warm. So you must understand me that at that moment, I was in a moment of anxiety. I had to get to church. I had to preach a word. I had to do the work of the Lord. See, it was in my self-righteous tendency in that moment. I said I had to take care of business. You can worry about yours. See, it's our self-righteousness that prevents us from pursuits. It brings us to passivity, but church, 
do not forget. We too were once without clothes and in need of daily sustenance. Genesis chapter 3 will tell us that after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they immediately saw that they were naked in shame and need of provision. But what do we see? That God was gracious. And he did not just say a word, but in his mercy, he made garments of skin for Adam and Eve was clothed. See, just as God was merciful to all of creation by clothing them and covering their shame, our call as Christians is to pursue mercy among the people that need to be clothed with kindness and their need. James continues, look at verse 18 and 19 with me. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. See here, James is arguing that proclamation of God's sovereignty is not enough. Even demons believe that there is one God and shudder. Now, the word shudder uh, is interesting. Uh, this word shudder uh, was used in some ancient magical texts, and it was of the effect that the sorcerer wishes to bring about by means of his magic. So what is James's point when he refers to this shudder? That your lack of response to faith is equivalent to a demon's shudder. If I can say it this way, a faith without works is demonic at best. Allow me to explain. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this parable tells us about a man that was going down from Jerusalem all the way to Jericho and was attacked stripped naked, and he would be left for dead. As this parable in Luke chapter 10 explains, there would be three people that walked by. There was a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. The parable tells us of this story that the priest and the Levite would ignore this man that was left for dead, but a Samaritan, a good Samaritan, passed by. Allow me to read verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In the same way, may you be reminded that you too were left for dead. You were bruised and broken. But by 
God's grace, he had mercy. He healed your wounds. He gave you rest. And he paid for your spiritual debt in full. And our response, beloved church, do likewise. We are to pursue mercy because mercy first pursued us. This leads us to our second point, the power of mercy. Read verse 20 with me. You foolish person, do you not want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Now the word evidence shows us that James isn't arguing against justification by faith alone. James is simply asking, what should justification by faith alone look like? What's the evidence? James gives us this evidence from looking at the Old Testament figure, Abraham. Look at verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Now these verses are specifically from Genesis chapter 15, where we see Abraham, one of the most revered figures in Israel's history, and in Genesis chapter 15, he would sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar based on God's request. Now, what James is trying to show is that Abraham's faith led to Isaac on the altar, but it was his work that provided and proved of his faithfulness. Look at verse 22. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Faith and deed were working together. In the Greek, working together is the word synergy. There was a synergy between faith and work. See, faith must not be confused with works, but neither can faith be separated from works. Reformed theologian John Calvin says it this way, faith can be no more separated from works than the sun from his heat. If I can say it this way, when you say that you are a broken sinner found in the streets of mercy, the response is to find your way back to those streets to find others in need of mercy. Brian Stevenson, uh, in his New York Times best-selling book, Just Mercy, says, hear his words, there is a strength, a power even, in understanding brokenness, because embracing our brokenness creates a need and desire for mercy, and perhaps a corresponding need to show mercy. When you experience mercy, you learn things that are hard to learn otherwise. You begin to recognize the humanity that resides in each of us. The power of mercy begins with the understanding of brokenness. If one understands that you were spiritually broken, you will have a heart for the broken. If you understand that you were once spiritually poor, you will care for the poor. If you understand that you were once marginalized from the presence of God, you will care for the marginalized. And the question remains, 
Where does the Christian find his or her power to do this work, good work within faith? Well, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says this word, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Only the cross becomes the power of our call to mercy. It's on the cross that points us to a God to sh that showed mercy because he did not show mercy to his son. That you and I, church, we receive ultimate mercy because the God, the Father, showed absolutely no mercy to his son. Mercy and the power to do mercy comes from the cross. Continue to read with me in verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Now here we see the outcome of Abraham's life of faith where he would be deemed as righteous he would be deemed a friend of God. Abraham would reap the benefits of righteousness and friendship just as we, beloved church, would receive the benefits of righteousness and friendship. See, the only difference between uh, the cross and between the Abraham narrative is that Isaac would be spared, Jesus Christ would not. Just as Abraham's faith led to the work on the altar, it worked together and it was complete. The person and work of Christ that worked together for our good and it was finished. The power of mercy begins by embracing brokenness. And we find this brokenness on the cross as it reminds us of who we are without him and what it took for us to be with him. And this leads us to our third point, the price of mercy. Look at verse 24 and 25 with me. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Now here, James is introducing now another Old Testament figure, and her name is Rahab. Rahab is introduced in Joshua chapter 2, and she plays a very important role of Israel's conquest for the promised land. Um, in, jo in Joshua chapter 2, we see Joshua's plan unfold. And it began with two spies laying out the land. And it just so happens that the perfect spot to scope out this land was at the house of Rahab, the prostitute. Now what happens is that the king of Jericho finds out about Joshua's plan. So the king, finding out, he sent his people to Rahab's home and demanded the two spies to be brought out. At that point, 
Rahab the prostitute had a difficult decision to make. She can either do two things. She can, number one, snitch, let them know about their whereabouts, and most likely get rewarded, or hide them, commit treason against Jericho, and if caught, would possibly be put to death. What does Rahab do? Joshua chapter 2, verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hid them. Rahab made a deliberate break with her own people to join the Israelites by lying about their whereabouts, and she sent them to another direction. Her faith led to a merciful act, and without her, there would be no reaching of the promised land. What's the point? See, for Rahab, she risked her life for the mercy of the spies. The price of mercy is more than one's bank account. The price of mercy is always one's life. Centuries later, someone else will show the ultimate price paid for mercy's sake. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 declares, But because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was rich in mercy, but would experience ultimate poverty. He became eternally homeless, completely vulnerable, so we can reside in the house of God, God, so that we would be infinitely rich, and we would be clothed in power and glory. But... We love that narrative. We love that story of being rich. But let's not ever forget about the process of getting rich. See, what's interesting is when you look at the person and work of Jesus Christ, we see that Jesus Christ did not make you, he didn't just make you rich. He had to go through an injustice to get there. Brian Stevenson says it this way, The opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. See, Jesus Christ was naked, beaten, hungry, and oppressed in a completely unjust manner so that you and I, even though we do not deserve it, receive justice. And just as Jesus Christ went through an unjust system for the sake of justice, we, his people, are to fight through an unjust system for the sake of it all. Know this. To deny the injustice of Jesus Christ is to be reductionistic of his work on the cross. Tim Keller says it this way. It means taking the threads of your life your emotions, your time, your body, your physical presence, your money, and plunging them into the lives of other people through thousands of involvements. You know, practically the question remains is, well, what do we do? I think, I mean, there's so many ways to go about, but I think practically right now, as simple as knowing a narrative. 
you know, as, as Tim Keller says, uh, plunging them into the lives of others. I think the best way to pursue justice is by pursuing people. Understand the narrative. Understand the hurts and the sufferings of a person that's dear to you, a neighbor, a community, a people. And that may that be the conviction to respond. See, it begins with understanding a narrative. And that's where the cost begins. See, living a life of mercy is a costly life because you're thinking about others rather than thinking about yourself. You're investing into others while you're taking away the investments that you think you deserve. You're pouring out yourself just as Jesus Christ poured himself out on our behalf. Mercy must begin with remembering that your mercy was paid with the blood of Jesus Christ. Read verse 26 with me and I'll be at your way. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, verse 26, he's just saying the same thing over and over again at this point, but he's recapping his argument that faith without works is dead, meaning there's an emphasis on James's end that this is a very serious matter. And at the same way, church, this is very relevant for us in today's culture. We're in a very hostile climate where issues of racial injustice social economical inequality and political backlash are at the forefront and if the church is not responding to these issues in a way that scripture calls us to then the question is to be asked are we a church of dead faith will you consider with me to begin engaging in a faith-based mercy towards our neighbors our communities, and the city of Philadelphia for the sake of a holistic gospel to reach the ones that are in need. If you're overwhelmed by the flood of mercy that washed away your sin, may you respond and reflect on Micah chapter 6, verse 8, to act justly, to love mercifully, and to walk humbly with your God. Will you join me in prayer this morning?